We are in Genesis chapter 14, and we are in a series called Becoming a Friend of God. After Abram returned from defeating Ketelamer, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth, or a tithe, of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not accept nothing, I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, this is unbelievably practical today, right where we live. Father, I pray that you would get out your scalpel, that you would cut out of our heart things that shouldn't be there, Wash our minds with the truth of how you see us, how you see our lives, how you see our resources. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for every good thing that's going to happen here today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is Giving Your Tithe. So Abram gives this tithe to Melchizedek. We'll talk about that later. And then the king of Sodom says, hey, you won the war, so you take all of the goods that have been recovered. And it's like, Abram's got, do you feel a little attitude in him? Nope, not taking anything from you. I never want it to be said that I, that I became rich because of man. God is my provider. God's the God. Whatever God does with me is fine, but I don't want you to take any type of credit that it was man that did this instead of God who possesses all of heaven and earth. And it's like he has a little attitude with it. So in the mid-90s, I was in Faustin, Minnesota. I was the pastor Shane Holden was the youth pastor at the church, and Shane started praying for Madison. And he was praying that God would raise up a church in Madison that his friends would go to, because he came out of the drug culture, got saved out of the drug culture, and he just, he, he just didn't believe there was a, a church in Madison that his friends would feel comfortable in. And so he prayed, and he prayed, and then God started speaking to him, and he ended up being the one to come and plant Mad City Church. And one of the things that he did is he preached in blue jeans because his friends aren't going to go, they're not going to come to a church that everybody's dressed up. The second thing he did is he put a giving box in back. He said, all of my friends, when they hear church, all they think of is church wants my money. Church wants my money. And of course, the charismatic movement was the worst on TV with sow a seed and you'll get a hundredfold back and you know you need to and, and just long prayers over money and it just felt like so much manipulation 
and there's just a lot of cynicism in Madison anyway. And so Shane, Shane just said, We're, it's not going to be about money. We're going to have a box in the back. People put money in the box. We'll keep having church. People stop putting money in the box. We will close it down. It's up to God. I, but, but we will never manipulate. We will never beg. We will never. And so that's how he ran Mad City Church right from the beginning. Just a giving box. So I came to Mad City in 2007. And I loved it. I, I, I loved preaching in jeans. I loved, I loved the giving box. I loved breaking the sinners. I'm from a very cynical family about church and especially charismatics and it's all about the money and stuff and and so I just I just loved the new culture and so when we were looking to put together Lake City and Mad City this was a deal breaker on our side like we will not do offerings anymore there has to just be we got to put up some giving boxes or we're not doing I am not going back to it and I'm not saying it's wrong for churches to have offerings. I'm not saying any of that is wrong. And, I'm not, and I certainly don't want to be critical of any other place. But just for Madison and for me and for our thing, and I'm not interested in doing it unless we do giving boxes. And so it was a tremendous test for the Lake City staff. They, 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 there was $4 million of debt at the time. There had never not been an offering since 1931. There had been at least one offering every week, sometimes multiple offerings. And now we're going to put these together and we're not, we're not going to take any offerings anymore? Are, are people even going to put money in the box? And I'm like, you know, we'll see. And uh, of course, what has happened with city churches is, is, is a great miracle. But from the beginning... It has been about Jesus, and it's not, it's not going to be about, I don't ever want it said that this was about money, <laughs> and this is about us trying to get money and trying to, trying to build a bigger building and, and all that stuff, and so, but my promise has always been, and Shane's too, is giving and money is really important, so when it's in the text, we will preach the text boldly. We will give just what the text says because these, this is an important area of our lives. And so, um, so that's how we have done City Church. We, we only raise money for missionaries and this is how we've been doing it all these, all these years. So today, since it's in the text, um, Abraham gave his tithe to Melchizedek. So here's point one. What is tithing? Tithing is giving 10% of your income to God. This is the first mention of tithing. And it's very interesting because he did not pay his tithe. He gave his tithe. There's not even a command. There's no, he's not responding to a command. God's saying, I want to tithe. It, he's just, it's in his heart. He wants to give the first 10%. Now, later under the law, God commanded the tithe. And it was, and God said it in these words, I own the first fruits. The first 10% belongs to me. The other 90% is yours. And so if you didn't pay your tithe, you were robbing God and you a curse came on your finances because you this was God's part and you were using God's part for something else. Well, thank God Jesus took the curse on himself. Whether, whether you give or don't give, there's not a curse on your finances. 
um, Jesus took the curse for us. So the New Testament pattern is that of Abraham. And it's very interesting how God thinks about things. Because in the Old Testament, 10% belong to God, 90% belong to us. So here's how the New Testament works. You're not going to like this. In the New Testament, God says, 100% belongs to me. Luke 14, you cannot be my disciple unless you give up all you possess. That you're not going to be an owner down here. You're going to be a steward. Everything you have belongs to me, and you can steward it, you can watch over it, but it is mine to use however I want to. And so 10% giving, we don't pay, we, we give, and we'll, we'll see that in a second, but that's, that's a beginning point. As you, as you develop a life of generosity, you will go well beyond that 10%. And as you see how it works and how the river flows, you will go beyond the 10%. But this, that's, the, that's the starting line, is, is giving 10%. So here's the New Testament standard, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So no one has to. There's no compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So God is a cheerful giver, and he wants us to be cheerful givers. God is central to who God is, is his generosity. He is gracious, and he wants a people that reflect his generosity. So for God, it's not enough that you tithe. He wants you to enjoy it. Okay. So that brings me to an email that I received a few months ago from a young man, and I'm going to read it to you because he gave me permission. I emailed him back, and I said, listen, I'm going I'm to preach on this. I love your email. I love the honesty of it. Can I read? He said, absolutely. And he said, and I want you to know this. I will be watching. That's right. He, he doesn't live in this area anymore. He moved to another state, goes to another church, but he asked me this question, and he said, I'm going to be watching when you preach on this. And so here's, here's what he wrote to me. Pastor Tom, we have met a couple of times. I have a question for you. I recently started a new job and have tithed out of every check. However, if I am being honest, I haven't really wanted to. I've tied 10% because that seemed standard. This is a good chunk of my check, almost as if I'm adding another bill every pay period. I do it because I know God wants me to, and I feel like my life and finances won't be blessed unless I do. But that ends up sounding like a bargain between me and God. So my question is, is tithing something you should only do if your heart is truly in it? I also want to be a good person, and I'm glad knowing the money might help someone. But at the end of the day, it still hurts slightly when I send the money. If I'm mainly doing it because I think God will bless me for it, then is it pointless? I would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. So before we go to point two, which is why tithe, I'm just going to take a little of the awkwardness out of this. It's very awkward for a pastor to speak on giving. It seems self-serving. So, this morning, I'm not going to speak to you guys. I'm going to speak to that guy that's watching online. Okay? He doesn't even go here. So, it's not about him and me. So, I'm just going to answer his question. And if you want to listen, you're, you're, you're free to do that. But, so... 
This isn't about you, this is about him, okay? So I wanna give, I wanna give him three reasons why tithe. Here's number one. God uses our tithe to free our hearts from the love of money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money, it's called the deceptiveness of riches. Money has a seducing way with the human heart. In fact, Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And you, said, you say, well, Pastor Tom, I don't have a worship service to money. I don't, have a, I don't have a song of praise for my money. Money's certainly not my God. I, I go to church. Jesus is my God. Let's not be so quick to jump to that conclusion. Your God, in reality, is whatever motivates you and whatever comforts you. It doesn't matter how much religion is in your life. If what ultimately motivates you is making money and what ultimately will comfort you and take your fears away is having enough money. If I just had more money, then, I'm, then that's, that's your God. Now, and here's the problem. Money is a horrible master. Money will run you. It's not just the love of money. It's the fear of not having enough money. And it, it torments you and it's never enough. And you need to work harder and you, you have a million, but that's not enough. You need another million. And Jesus said, this is how the Gentiles live. The Gentiles live. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? And what am I going to wear, drink, and eat tomorrow? And how much is enough to know that? And the Gentile, Jesus said, this is how the Gentiles live. And Jesus said, I'm calling you to something completely different. I'm calling you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added because the Father loves you and he knows that you need them. I want you to live under this engine of love, the love of God for you, the provision of God, the confidence in God, and, and, and live differently than how the Gentiles live. So God takes our tithe, and he uses it. As we give our tithe, he frees our heart from the control of money. Every time we give our tithe, we are declaring, God is my master, not money. I, I serve God, not money. Now, here's the interesting thing. I just think this is fascinating. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, your heart will follow. That you can actually, by what you give money to, you can actually make your heart different. You can make your heart change. And you say, pa Pastor Tom, how could, that, how could that possibly be true? Well, here's, here's what's true. Money is unbelievably close to the human heart. Why? It's, it's what we work for. It's, it's, it's how we buy stuff. It's, it's how we, we get by. And so when you take something that close to your heart and you give it away somewhere, you, your heart actually will change by what you are giving to. And when you're giving money to Jesus, you are going to become more godly. That's just, that's just a principle. So that's number one. God uses our tithe to free our hearts from the money. Here's number two. When we tithe, we are covenanting with God 
in our finances. So here's Malachi 3, 10 through 12. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, we don't get Malachi 3, 8, 9, which is the curse because you've been robbing God. That's, Jesus died for that. But you still get the promise of Malachi 3, 10 through 12 if you tithe. Why? Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, 20, whatever the promises of God are, they are yes in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the Old Testament promises. So there is a, this is just a tremendous promise that you, that, that you can claim when you're when you're a tither. God says, test me in this. Now, this is fascinating to me. God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. So God makes the rules, and God himself is the only one that can break the rules. So God made a rule. You shall not test the Lord your God. And then God made one exception to it. And I think that he made it for men. I think, I think it's very hard for men to tithe. Men live in the real world. They're paying the bills. And are you kidding me? We're going to give 10% to God. Are you kidding me? And God says, test me. Test me. And you watch and you see. Don't do the math in your head. Test me and watch what I will do. Because when you're in covenant with God in your finances, you're no longer limited to your job you're no longer limited to the economy or what inflation is doing or what you think the markets are doing. You, you've got God on your, on your side. Now, I could give you a hundred stories of seeing God's provision for my life. I could, I could give you, well, I'm on a pastor's salary and we have been right from the beginning and we have four kids and I have a wife that's a stay-at-home wife. So everything that had to happen... <laughs> It couldn't all happen within my salary. God had to do it. And so I could give you many stories. I'll just give you a few. So, so here's, uh, this one is in my devotional. I actually list all the ways God did this. But this is when we were in Montevideo, Minnesota. It had been raining day after day after day. And we we're in late November. And I'm at the office and Alice calls me. At this time, we've got two kids in middle school and two kids in high school, and it's all happening in our life. And I get this call, and Alice says, it's raining on me. And I'm like, go inside. <laughs> and she says, that's the problem. I am inside. I'm like, oh boy, this doesn't sound good. So I go, I go home. She was in our bedroom. It started raining on her. And I'm like, I'm hoping that somehow there's pipes in the attic that have burst. Because that would be a simple solution. I go up there. There's no pipes up there. There's puddles up in our attic because it's coming through our roof. And so, so I, I, I have a guy come out and, and he looks at it. And, and my first thought is, you know, we will patch it. You know, you put a few shingles there, get some tar on there, and we patch the, the leak. And he, he says, 
Uh, Pastor Tom, you cannot patch this. You have to get a new roof. Winter is about to hit. And not only do you need a new roof, you need it now. And, and, and it, it is beyond patching. You are going to have to get a new roof. And so we go out, we get a bid, and it's $5,700. This is an old Victorian, and there's all kinds of complications with it. $5,700. I don't have $5,700. So here's what I said to God. I said, God, you know we tithe. You know I give to missions. You know I give to the poor. And, uh, and you know this is not my house, God. This is your house. <laughs> and your house has a leaky roof right now, God. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm your guy. I, 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 ever, I mean, I kind of represent you in this community. And, and honestly, if, if we're, that, there's a bill coming in three weeks. If I say yes to this, there is a bill coming, and your name is on the line. If I can't pay this bill, this is going to look bad for you. This is hallowed be your name. This isn't about my name. It's about your name. You're going to look really bad, God. So I need your okay before I say yes to this. So I feel a peace from God. Of course, whenever you get peace, you never know for sure what that means. But I, I just, I don't see any other option. And so I... I give the okay to the roofer. And friends, I cannot tell you the stunning ways over the next three weeks from six different sources, money came in and it totaled $6,300. And you say, well, why the extra money? Because God knows I'm going to tithe on, on it. I needed not just the 5,700, I, need, I needed the extra to, to tithe on, on what I got. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, not only will he give bread for you to eat, he will give you seed for you to sow. And so this all happened. Of course, we re had a new roof, but we had seen God's provision and we rejoiced and it was exciting. So that's one. Here's, here's the even bigger one. So it became very apparent, our four kids, they're all very smart, all love school. I mean, they're just not, they're not the, they never complained about homework. They, they were always trying to be the best and da-da-da-da-da. And, and my mom wanted all of her grandchildren to go to college. And so they're all college bound. And, uh, you know, I like to watch golf on TV. It's the closest thing to taking a nap. Um, <laughs> And so they assume it's a rich audience, and so they always tell you how much money you should be putting aside for the college fund and all these different ways you can prepare for college. And, and every time I'd see one of those commercials, I'd say, God, you know, we do not have a dime to put aside for college. These kids are all college bound. But I'm trusting. I'm, I'm, I'm giving in all these areas, and I'm trusting you to pay for their college. I don't know how it's gonna happen, but I'm not saving, but that doesn't mean you can't be saving. <laughs> now, I don't know how the math works, guys, but all four of my kids went all the way through college, all graduated from college, and all of, none of them had any debt. Oh, Stunning. 
Ab- absolutely stunning. It was a combination of scholarships and us putting what money we had in and them getting jobs and putting their money in, but all four of them made it through. I, I can't even tell you the, the number. I mean, one of my daughters went to Johns Hopkins. The, the, the tuition there is 50000 a year. It was almost entirely scholarship. But point is this, God did it. So what if it's not working? So I've bored you with this Victorian home that went unsold for six years. If you've been around here a while, you've heard about that home and the trial that I went through and God, why can't you sell this home? And it's the same thing. God, you've got a home. It's not sold. Sell that home. That's, we can't buy a home here until that home is sold. And, and instead, here we are, giving regularly, faithful to God, obeying God, and we are losing money every single month for six months on that home. And when we did sell it, we sold it for 20000 less than we had bought it for. It was just, just horrible. And so when you're doing homes, our first home, God miraculously gave us a down payment. Then we lived in Foston. We had a parsonage. And then we had some money to do the, the home in Montevideo, but the church gave us some money that we didn't have to pay back until we sold it. But I paid that loan back $100 a month for years until we paid that off. And, and so I've got money in this thing, but now all of that is gone. Here I am, giving, tithing, faithful, and now we can't buy a home here because we lost all that money. But here's how it works. Just because it seems like you are disconnected from one avenue of provision does not mean you're cut off from the provider. God chose to use a completely different means. And sometimes he will use our saving and our diligence. And, but in this case, he just gave us a gift from a completely unknown place that allowed us to give a down payment so that we could live in the current home that we're in. Amazing. Well, it doesn't just say he's going to open up heaven and pour a blessing. It says he's going to rebuke the devourer for you. He can cut your expenses. So this just happened recently. I did a wedding. It was a, it was a, a young couple struggling financially, and I just pulled them aside. And I said, listen, I am not receiving any honorarium for this. So if you're under any stress about that being an additional, I I want to give my services as a gift to you. Please, I just want to bless you. And they were very happy about that. And I get done with the wedding, and I have to, that afternoon, on my Saturday afternoon chore list, fix the lawnmower. Lawnmower, you pull, and it won't pull. It was stuck. It was like there was a knot in it or something. I'm not Mr. Mechanical, but I tried to do a few things. And it, it's, I call my brother Mike. He's more mechanical. He's like, yeah, you need to get a repairman. And so I go over to my repairman there in McFarland, and, and uh, he's got a system where you just put it in his garage, and you write a little note to him, what's wrong, and he gets back to you. And I left a voicemail with him as well. And well, while I'm writing the note, he drives up. And he says, well, well, what's wrong with it? And I said, well, this is what's going on. He said, let's take a look at it. So, so he puts it up on his little lift, and he's spraying things and cleaning things, and he's changing the spark plugs, and he's just, he, and he's chatting the whole time he's doing I'm just listening, and it's fine. We're, you know, I, this is amazing. And so he gets that thing purring, brings it down, and I'm like, okay, let's settle up right now. And he says, uh, he pauses and he says, you know what? This one's on me. 
That's a miracle. I thought we'd get a bigger round of applause than that. Anyway. <laughs> and all I'm saying by that is this. God, God runs everything. God can take care of you. God can watch over whatever it is that you need. So, but here's the other thing with covenanting with God in your finances. This is crazy. Turns out, Jesus says this in Matthew 6. Don't store up money where moths will um, eat it and, and rust will wear it out. Rather, store up treasures for yourself in heaven. So Paul alludes to this in Philippians. They've been giving to Paul. This church has been giving. Paul's a missionary. And here's what he says. He says, not, this is Philippians 4, 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul says this, you've got an account. You've got an account. Any money that you give to God's purposes with a heart that wants to give it to Jesus and to advance the kingdom of God in this world, there is an account. Apparently, we've said for years, you can't take it with you. But apparently, you can send it ahead. There's an account. And God keeps track. And whatever is up there, down here, we're, we're only stewards. We're not owners. There, we will be owners. And that, that actually brings us to my last my last uh, reason to tithe is so that there's no ceiling on your spiritual life. Here's Luke 16, 10 and 11. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true Riches. So first God says, you test me by giving. And then he explains to us, your giving is actually a test from me. And we're not going to go much farther. If you're unwilling to part with money, if you're unwilling to obey me in this area, if you're unwilling to partner with me in this area, you have just put a ceiling on your spiritual life. He says, if, if you can't take care of money and you're not willing to obey me in money, who's going to give you the greater, the greater stuff? God is testing us with our money. He's, he's watching to see what we do. He knows how important it is to us. And he says, you be faithful in this area and I will open up heaven over you. I'll give you, I'll download more of heaven's riches, the eternal things, the, the greater things are, are, are not money or stuff. The greater things are things from his heart, Think, truths that are from heaven, authority from heaven. God wants to give that. So from God's perspective, just so we're all, we're all thinking about how God's thinking about it, I want you to think about you playing Monopoly. And I want you to think about that Monopoly money. Have you noticed that when the game is over, 
that that money is worthless? That you actually just put it back in the box and you put it back on the shelf? Have you ever tried to use Monopoly money at the grocery store? Of course not. Guys, there's no money in heaven. This is Monopoly money. This, we're, 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 we're being tested right now. And God, who owns everything, he owns the cattle on a thousand, he owns everything, he wants us, he wants to see how we're doing it. So if you have a setback, just think about, you hit boardwalk and you had a hotel on it, so you owe $2,000 and you're, you know, that's a, that's a bad thing. But the game's going to be over soon. Praise God. I wasn't even expecting a clap there, so that was bonus. All right. Point three, we are now in our last point. Who do we give our tithe to? So here's what it says. That Abraham gave his tithe to Melchizedek. Now, who is Melchizedek? He is one of the most fascinating characters in the Bible. He is a foreshadow, a forerunner of Jesus himself. And I'm not the only one saying it. It says it in Psalm 110. It says it in Hebrews 7. And here's all the ways he foreshadows Christ. First, he is both king and priest. He is the king of Salem. Salem means peace. So he's the king of peace. Melchizedek means righteousness. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of priests and the king of peace. But he's also a priest of the most high God. Well, when Jacob is born two generations later, one of his sons is named Levi and one is named Judah. And God makes it very clear, the priests are from Levi's line and the kings are from Judah's line and you never mix them. The kings got in trouble. When they tried to offer sacrifices, they'd get leprosy. I mean, it was bad. Kings, Judah, priests, Levi. But Melchizedek is both king and priest. And so David says in Psalm 110 about the Messiah that you are going to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. God is going to, there's a new covenant coming. He's going to put the priesthood and the kingship together in one person, the Messiah. So he is, it says in Hebrews 7, Melchizedek was without beginning or without end. This is why he's a priest forever. And so some have thought, well, then he must be Jesus. I mean, Melchizedek must be Jesus. It's Jesus taking on a different name. Not necessarily so, because the the rabbis of that time had a saying, and it went like this. Everything that is, everything that was, and everything that will ever be is in the law. So if the law did not give you a beginning, you are without beginning. If the law does not tell you when you die, then you are without end. So Melchizedek just appears. This is the only place he appears. He appears in Genesis 14, and we don't know when he was born. He just, he's without beginning, and we don't know when he dies. So he's without an end. And so he is a foreshadow or a type of Jesus. Now, if you are just really strong, no, it is Jesus. It had to be Jesus. Okay, you believe that, that's fine. I don't think so, but that's fine. We'll agree to disagree on that. And then this is just powerful. He meets Melchizedek, and Melchizedek has the bread and the wine. 
This is a picture of Jesus at the, at the Last Supper. This is, he takes the bread and he says, this is my body given for you. He takes the cup of wine and he says, this is my blood poured out for you. When you give your tithe to Jesus, you are giving it to the one who suffered first and who suffered most. So if you have a little pain when you give your tithe, maybe it was supposed to hurt a little. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was supposed to hurt. Maybe this is hard for me. Well, maybe, maybe the Christian life isn't always easy. Maybe, maybe it's costly. Maybe it's supposed to cost us something, but it's in response to the one who suffered for us first and more than we ever will. Well, and then, okay, all right, I can see that, where we'd give it to Jesus. If Jesus was here, I'd give it to him. Well, unfortunately, the way you give your tithe to Jesus is by giving it to people. And so here are the three places um, that we give to because God told us to. First one is the local church. So when he says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse so that there might be food in my house, he's talking about two kinds of food. The first kind of food is food. They literally brought their grain and their sheep and they, they had places in the temple because this was going to be the food for the Levites and the priests so that they could separate themselves to ministry. So they had provision and now they could now give spiritual food to the people. They were freed up to minister the law and to minister in all the ways God wanted them to minister. So it was physical food, and it was spiritual food. And so, so bringing the tithe into the, the church, it frees up those that are called to be full-time to uh, devote themselves to the word of God and to prayer and so that there can be spiritual food in God's house. And so God does the two types of food at the same time. And so, Pastor Tom, I have been disappointed by the local church. Pastor Tom, I've been wounded by the local church. Here's my response to that. Join the club. Seriously. I mean, we've all been disappointed by the church. We've all been wounded in some way by the church. But this is still what Jesus is building. Jesus said, I will build my church. So Jesus is for the local church. Jesus is building the local church. Yeah, he's using broken people like you and me, but he wants investors in the local church, not critics. So what am I saying? Find a church that you believe the, the mission of and that you can have confidence in the leadership and, and then attend there, serve there, and give there. Because God wants investors. Now, it's not in vogue today. What is in vogue today is to be the critic of the local church. To be on the sidelines and, and not even go to a church. Just go once in a while, this church, that church, whatever, watch online. And, and because the, the church is flawed. The church is this. The church is that. You know what, guys? We need to be very, very careful. That's Jesus' bride we're talking about. Jesus is the one that's building the church. Now, 
There is no such thing as a perfect church. When you're looking for a church, don't look for a perfect church because there isn't any such thing. And if there is and you actually find a perfect church, don't go there. You'd ruin it. <laughs> Second place God wants us to give is to the poor. Now, this is another interesting scripture. This is Proverbs 19:17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him. One translation says, repay him for what they have done. So Jesus takes this ownership of the poor. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done it to me. Now, this is another situation where God, the God who made the rules breaks the rules because God says, both in Job and in Romans 11, which quotes Job, who has first given to me that I would repay them? That God is saying, I'm not in your debt. I don't owe anybody anything. That's the rule. And then God makes one exception to the rule. When you give to the poor, I am now on your debt. I will repay you. I, I saw it. You shared my heart. You joined me. Whether the poor is somebody in the third world or somebody that is your neighbor that's down on their leg or a church person in your small group and, and you come alongside them because the Holy Spirit says, I want you to give to them. When you are giving to them, it, it looks like you're giving to a person, but you're giving to Jesus. You're giving it right to Jesus. It's beautiful. And then the third place that we, we give to is missions. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God's heart is for the lost. God leaves the 99 to go after the one. God's heart is for the whole world. Every Muslim, every Buddhist, every Hindu, God sees and carries the whole world in his heart. And he raises up people that have this sovereign call to do hard things and go to other countries. And, and, and Paul says here, how can they go unless someone sends them? God's heart is in missions. And so you'll know this if you've been around here a while. The one time a year where we raise money is for missions, for our missionaries. And uh, this, is, this is, right now we have a young lady, they, they, our group just got back from Cyprus, but this young lady from a very young age has felt called to the Middle East to have a ministry to Muslims. And so she's staying for six weeks and if it, God confirms the call, she will come back here to raise support and then we will come alongside her so that she can fulfill God's call. Here's how Hudson Taylor, who's kind of the father of modern missions, he said this to his, 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 his committee. He said, listen, picture a well that you're lowering down to me that is filled with darkness. I will go down into that well. I will go into dark places. I will bring the light of Christ, but I need you to hold the rope. That's what giving to missions is. It's we are letting other people, the, the, the call to reach the whole world is to all of us together, but we don't all have the same role in how that's going to happen. Now, could we stand together? Because I, I have to say something to this church 
before I close. Here's what I need to say. In all of my years of pastoring, I have never been in a more generous church than this church. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. The way you've given, you've, we've, we're out of debt. We've got, we're now in a, a, we've got a line in the bulletin about, about building. We've got money towards the new expansion, which God will bring it. We will not borrow money, trust me. That will happen when it happens. But every time we have raised money for missions, you guys have been there. Every, every time we've asked, you guys have, have risen up, whether it was, has been to build a house in Belize or for the, the ongoing support of our missionaries. And I just want to say what a privilege and an honor it is to be the lead pastor of this church. Truly, truly an honor. Now, in some churches, and I, remember, the, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's not wrong to have an offering every week, and it's not wrong for pastors to pray for the finances of their people. Some pastors get to do that every single week. They will pray for a blessing on finances on their people that are giving. But I only get to do it once in a very, very great while. So this is my chance. I get to pray for your finances. Would you mind just closing your eyes, opening your arms like this? Lord, I, I just, I feel your heart is so full towards this church. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I pray for those that today's message was like a, a wake-up call. God, I pray that you take out your scalpel and that you would cut away the love of money and the fear of not having enough money. You would do something in our hearts that would literally take the ceiling off of our spiritual life. Father, I pray for those that have been giving and right now the house is unsold and they're going backwards every single and it's just it's not working God (laughs) Lord I pray for that you would give them a faithful spirit and God that you would show your provision even if it's not the way they thought you were going to show your provision Lord there's somebody here their roof is leaking right now figurative like there is an immediate need And I don't know how I'm going to pay it right now. Father, thank you that you have a plan. Thank you that you're a generous provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord, our provider. Our eyes are on you, oh God. Father, I pray for the finances of everyone here. God, in Jesus' name, that you would rebuke the devourer for our sake. For those that haven't quite taken you up on the test, I pray you'd give them courage to go ahead and step up. And God, if it, this is a bad time to start the test, which there's inflation, God. Lord, show yourself strong. Show yourself mighty. And God, I pray you'd give them some kisses right up front that that they would just know, oh, okay, God's got me. God's got me. Lord, this is an area where you become so real. You either come through or you don't. And Jesus, show yourself strong to those who are trusting you. Father, we give you the future of this church. We give you our missionaries and all the people that are here now that are going to be called to other countries that that you're going to raise us up to, to, to release them and to send them and to support them. We say, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. This is your church. Do with it whatever you want to do. 
God, for your glory, for our good, and for, for, for the good of this world. We love you, Jesus.